Good evening. It's Tuesday and we are on for a lesson. It's usually lunch and learn. Tonight we are on a bit of a different schedule. Today it's at 7.30 p.m. and we're getting ready to begin our weekly lesson, our weekly Torah session. And we will begin momentarily. <clears throat> As we do every week, we have a source sheet prepared for today's lesson. And we will look at another topic. Coming up in a couple of days is the holiday of Shavuos. Shavuos comes out on this Sunday night. Um, continues through Monday until Tuesday evening. And Shavuos is a very important Jewish holiday, but not very well known. Today we'll talk about a little bit about this holiday, some of its customs, how it's celebrated, and the importance of celebrating this holiday. Uh, join me for this lesson as we go through some traditional sources from Torah, from Midrash, from Talmud, exploring this holiday um, from a Torah source. The reason why we're late today is this morning we had a simcha, a family celebration, Baruch Hashem. Um, my brother-in-law Isser got engaged and uh, the usual time at 12.15 we were at the celebration, so I didn't want to miss a week of studying Torah. So we're back here. Uh, it's a little bit later, but we're here for our Torah session. And we are going to begin momentarily. Hi, Vicky. As we get ready to begin on this link, we have a, uh, on this post, we have a link to the source sheet. <clears throat> or you can check your email if you're on our email list. And... Hello, we are going to get ready to begin. Uh, I'm sure some will watch later. Here we go. We're going uh, at the, in, into the source sheet. It's divided into four sections. And we will explore this holiday through our sources. So let's take a look at our for, first section. Hi, Michael and Maureen. We're just getting ready to begin our lesson. Thank you for coming on. And we had a change of schedule uh, for today. But uh, here we are getting ready to dive in and explore the holiday of Shavuos on our source sheet. Once again, on this post, there is a link to the source sheet. Today's source sheet is divided into four sections. We will look at uh, the basics. What's this holiday about? The holiday of Shavuos, which is soon upon us. And we'll zoom in to one specific custom, one of the most famous customs, how this holiday is observed. Excuse me, here we go. If you didn't see, um, uh, Michael and Maureen, the reason why uh, we're different on schedule today is because Isser, uh, my brother-in-law, became a chosen, chatan. He became, uh, he became engaged today. So we were at the celebration earlier this morning. Here we go, source number one on the source sheet. The Torah says, what does the Torah say? The Torah says, you shall perform the festival of weeks. The word Shavuos in Hebrew Shavua means a week. Uh, we have it as a sad time. The word Shiva is very similar to Shavua. Shiva means the week of mourning. Uh, Shiva means seven. It's a seven-day mourning period after a person loses a, a very close uh, relative. So they said Shiva because Shiva means seven. So similarly, the word Shavua is constantly the word Shavua, which means a week, because a week has seven days. So the Torah says in the book of Deuteronomy, you shall perform the festival of weeks, that there is a mitzvah, there is a 
instruction from the Torah that we shall perform, we should celebrate this festival, this festival which is called Weeks, the festival of Shavuos, which is plural for one week, but many weeks, the festival of weeks. Now it's not, it's not a festival that lasts for many weeks, but it's referred to as a festival of weeks. It shall be a sacred occasion for you. You shall not work at your occupations. This is a law for all time in all your settlements. One shouldn't think that it's not for. It's only for back in the day, for olden olden days. It's only in Israel or some places. Says the Torah, it's a uh, it's a statue. It's a law for all times and all your settlements, wherever you're going to be living. If you're Jewish, we have a Torah, and the Torah tells us that on this holiday it should be a sacred day, just like on Shabbos we refrain from from work. So too on the holiday, it is a day of uh, of uh, a sacred occasion. So why is the holiday called the holiday of Shavuos? Because not that it lasts so many weeks. It actually lasts one day in Israel. Here it lasts two days, which begins this Sunday night till Tuesday night, 48 hours. And why is it called weeks? Because it comes after weeks of preparation. What is this holiday mark? What does this holiday <coughs> commemorate? It commemorates the receiving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which took place exactly 3,333 years ago, in the year 2448 since creation. Hi Stan and hi Mark. And this is the date on the Jewish calendar. It's the sixth day of the month of Sivan. And it's exactly seven weeks since the beginning of Passover. And the Jewish people, from when they left Egypt, they were notified. They knew that eventually they're going to be standing at Mount Sinai and they're going to receive the Ten Commandments and the entire Torah. And they were anticipating this day. They were looking forward to this day. They were preparing for this day. And they counted the weeks. They counted the days. One week, another week, another week. And there's actually a mitzvah till today to count these weeks from Passover to Shavuos leading up to the giving of the Torah. So it's called Shavuos. It's called the holiday of weeks because it comes, it's the culmination, it's the 50th day after counting 49 days, after counting 7 weeks. So that's the mitzvah. The Torah tells us that this day, the days of Shavuos, is a holy day. It's a sacred day. And not just in olden days and not just in a specific place, but it's an eternal statute that's a law for all your settlements for all times. So that's the holiday of Shavuos. The Torah introduces us to this holiday. Many are aware of the holiday of Pesach, Passover, or aware of the holiday of Sukkot or Shoshana, Yom Kippur, but this is a biblical holiday that the Torah instructs us to celebrate the holiday of Shavuos. The day that the Torah was given to the Jewish people and what we, how we refer to this day, this is called a Yom Tov. We have Shabbos and we have Yom Tov. Shabbos is a, a weekly holiday every seventh day of the week, every Friday night and Saturday. And then we have a Yom Tov. Yom Tov means two Hebrew words. Yom, which means day. Tov, which means good. Like Boker Tov, Erev Tov. Now it's evening, so you might say to somebody, Erev Tov, good evening. So Yom Tov means a holy day or a good day. Yom Tov, a good day. What, this refers to the holidays. And we wish each other, just like on Shabbos, we wish each other good Shabbos. On the holiday, we wish each other good Yom Tov. What's the difference in Yom Tov and Shabbos? Source number two, Shabbos is an inherently holy day. Every seventh day from creation, it's the cycle. Every seventh day is holy. Yom Tov often falls on ordinary weekdays. Yet the weekdays become holy because of the festival. A Yom Tov transforms an ordinary day into a holy day. Shabbos is inherently holy. God sanctified every seventh day of the week. 
as we say in the Kiddush of Friday night, Vayikadesh Oto, God made it holy. We don't got to do nothing. If we, we don't, even if someone doesn't do anything to usher in the Shabbos, Shabbos sets in and it's a holy day. <clears throat> but Yom Tov, Yom Tov is that the day itself of the week is an ordinary day. Not every year the Jewish calendar does the, does the day of the month fall out on the same day of the week. We know that it's the sixth day of Sivan, the sixth day of the Jewish month of Sivan. But every year it can be a Sunday, it can be a Monday, it can be a Tuesday. The day itself is not inherently holy. But Yom Tov comes and takes this ordinary weekday. It could, ha- it could happen on Shabbos also, but like this year, it's Monday, Sunday night and Monday, and it takes this day and it transforms it into a holy day. So that's why the Yom Tov is called Yom Tov. It's a day, it's an ordinary day, but it's transformed into a holy day because the Yom Tov falls out on that day. So that's the Yom Tov. That's one reason why it's called the Holiday of Weeks. Take a look in source number three. We have a pirush. We have a commentary of the Or HaChaim. Or HaChaim is a man named Chaim Ben Atar from Morocco, one of the greatest rabbis that lived a few hundred years ago. And he writes another translation, another interpretation of the holiday of Shavuos. The word Shavuot comes from the Hebrew word Shavuah, which means to take an oath, to swear. Source number three. It is also called Shavuos because on this date, God took an oath to never exchange us with another nation. And we took a corresponding oath to never abandon Him. This is the day of the receiving of the Torah, and God gave us the Torah, and He took an oath, not just He gave us the Torah. This is the official day when God chose the Jewish people, Asher Bochar Bonu, as we say in the blessing before we get called to the Torah, that God chose us, selected us, and to give us the Torah. And we received the Torah, and by that, Hashem chose us and He made an oath never to exchange us. And even if sometimes we might not follow the Torah, we may be, uh, there may be sin and there may be a turning away from Torah, but God took an oath never to exchange us. And similarly, the Jewish people took a Shavua, we took an oath, we took a promise to never worship other gods, to be constantly in this relationship with, our, with Hashem, with God, never abandon God. Throughout the history, there's been many opportunities, and yet the Jewish people stood strong and we're still here today. And this is the holiday of Shavuot, it's a day that we committed ourselves and we re- recommit ourselves to Hashem. And that's another translation of the, of the holiday Shavuot, the holiday of the oaths, the oath that God took to the, for the, to the Jewish people and the oath of the Jewish people back to Hashem. Now, source number four, it is not merely a day that we commemorate what happened thousands of years ago, exactly on this day. It's not just the anniversary of the giving of the Torah, but it is a new experience. As we see in source number four, time is not a continuous line, but a circle. Time doesn't just begin from the beginning of creation. It keeps going and going and going. But every year, it's like a circle. And every year, the time of the year... We get back to that point of the circle of whatever happened on that time in previous years. Jewish festivals don't merely celebrate ancient events. They also reenact these events on a spiritual level. Each year on Shavuos, God issues the Torah to us anew. He expands and deepens our ability to grasp and to internalize the Torah. 
As with all the Jewish holidays, it is not just commemorating something that happened in the past, but rather each year is a new experience. It's a reenactment. It's a reliving the experience of giving of the Torah, just like God gave the Torah to our ancestors years ago. Every year this energy is, is present on this day, and there's an idea, there's an... There's a giving of the Torah that God gives to us and He gives us, expands our abilities to study the Torah in this coming year. And we, in return, recommit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to study Torah this year, to accept the Torah and to be more committed to our relationship with Torah and with Hashem. It is a personal kind of holiday. It's not just commemorating what happened back in the day. It is something personal and relevant to us. Source number five. When God was about to give the Torah, we have here a quote from the Midrash, when God was about to give the Torah to Israel, He said, give me a surety that you will fulfill it. I'm giving you my precious gift, the Torah, which is my personal, God's personal toy, as the Midrash says. Shashua Melach, God's personal enjoyment and His, His gift, His Torah, which he invests, his wisdom that he invested himself in the Torah, he says to the Jewish people, how am I going to make be sure that years, in years to come you will be still committed to, to the Torah? Give me a guarantor, give me a surety. So they said, our ancestors, our patriarchs, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov will be our surety, they answered. Whereupon God responded, your patriarchs require guarantors for themselves. They, that, that they're not good enough. And they came up with all kinds of other suggestions which God rejected. And finally they said that our children shall be our guarantors. By us teaching the Torah to the children and ensuring that they receive a Jewish education, they will be our guarantors, that the Torah will be constantly kept and passed on from generation to generation. They exclaimed, God immediately accepted them as guarantors and gave the Torah to Israel on account of the children. Because the children... Where the guarantors, Hashem says, okay, you got it, now I'm sure, I trust these guarantors that the Torah will be well kept and well guarded amongst the Jewish people. And just like it was then, the same too it is every year, that every year the children are our guarantors. And that's why the Rebbe in 1980 made a campaign that Jewish children should be present at the holiday celebration of Shavuos. How do we celebrate Shavuos? One of the ways is that by the Torah reading, we read the story of the giving of the Torah, the way it's found in the book of Exodus, and specifically the Ten Commandments, the way the Ten Commandments are recorded in the Torah, that God is speaking to the Jewish people, we read it from the Torah. Now, of course, every time we read the Torah, it's special, but especially when we read the Ten Commandments, it's done with extra feeling, and everybody, the whole congregation rises and faces the Torah because it's sort of a reenactment of the first time the Jewish people received the Torah. And who was present then? Who was the important guarantors? It was the Jewish children. So the Jewish children are the guarantors every year, and the Jewish children specifically need to be present, in addition to everybody being present, because just like the Torah was given the first time, every Jew was there. There was no Jew stuck somewhere here, stuck somewhere over there. All of the Jewish people had just come out of Egypt seven weeks before, and we're at the foot of Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. Every Jew is there, every man, woman, and child. And so too, when we read the Torah in every synagogue, should be men, women, and children present at the re this experience when we receive the Torah anew.
on the Shavuos holiday, but especially the children. Source number six, it is proper in the Rebbe's words that the children go to their parents and grandparents and tell them that since the Torah is given in the children's merit, and thus they are the most important guests, they would like to invite them to participate in their festival and join them in hearing Ten Commandments that the children should go and invite their parents and grandparents to come. They are the Baal HaSimcha, the way the Rebbe coined the children that they are, they are the hosts of the party because they're the ones that in their merit the Torah was given to the Jewish people. So I conclude our first section here which brings out what this holiday is about. We see the source of this holiday. We understand that it's not just commemorating the giving of the Torah 3,333 years ago. Rather, it's a, it's, a, it's a personal experience for us every year. And therefore... The children, which are the guarantors, are a very integral part of this experience. And, and they are not just invited, but they're the ones that invite their parents and grandparents to join in hearing the Ten Commandments being read this year and the, cele- <coughs> Excuse me. And the celebration that follows. Okay, that's our first section. Let's move on to section number two. In one second. And our source sheet. But one of the most important uh, parts of the celebration is <clears throat> a custom. Although this holiday, the holiday of Shavuos, is not very well known because there's no special mitzvah for this holiday. You know, on Pesach, we're familiar, we have a Seder, we have Matzah, and we can eat Chametz. Um, uh, Sukkot, we uh, shake the four kinds, the Elulav, the Esther, we build a Sukkah. It's a very, uh, <clears throat> there's a mitzvah to light candles on Hanukkah, to fast on Yom Kippur, to blow the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and so on. Most holidays have something very unique, a special mitzvah. But Shavuos does not have an actual mitzvah, a biblical mitzvah. It's just a day of celebration, a day that we, we refrain from work and we celebrate like Shabbos. However, even though there's no mitzvah, there, is a cust- there are many customs. There's a difference between halacha, a mitzvah, which is excuse me, a clear and biblical or rabbinic mit- excuse me, mitzvah, or there's a custom. Custom is something which, which is customary. It's not something you make a blessing, a bracha before. It's not something obligatory. It's a... Well, some customs become obligatory, but it's not something which originates from the Torah. It's something which originates from the Jewish people themselves, as we'll see. But what's this custom? The custom is, on Shavuos, one of the customs of the holiday of Shavuos is, as we see in Code of Jewish Law, the Code of Jewish Law brings down this custom. It's not just a custom, it's it's a custom which made it into Code of Jewish Law. Source number seven, it is customary in all places to eat dairy foods on the first day, of Shavuos. This custom should be observed, particularly so because many reasons were given for it. Many reasons were given for this custom of partaking of eating dairy foods. It doesn't have to be a specific kind. It could be a drink of milk, some cheese, or any uh, dairy products like pasta and lasagna and cheesecakes and blintzes and yogurt and sour cream and cottage cheese and anything you can make from all of those ingredients. Uh, dairy food. Dairy food is customary to eat dairy foods. Let's talk about a custom. What's a custom all about? A custom is 
first of all, there is a uh, teaching in the Talmud, or or in the in the commentaries of the Talmud, source number nine, source number eight. Excuse me. A custom of our ancestors is part of Torah. A custom is part of Torah. Minag of a minag Yisrael or minag of a senu Torahi. It's a Torah. It's part of. The Torah, the customs are part of Torah. What is a custom? A custom begins with ordinary people behaving in a certain way, not contradicting halacha, with the intention of enhancing their relationship with God. Let's give a few examples here. The difference in a mitzvah and a custom. So let's take the Seder night. The Seder night, there is a mitzvah to eat matzah. If you want to, if you're listening and you can give me some examples of some Jewish things that we do, maybe what's, what's a mitzvah or what do you think is a custom? So on the Seder night, there's a mitzvah to eat matzah. That's a biblical mitzvah. The Torah says you should eat matzah. There's a mitzvah to eat bitter herbs, to eat lettuce or horseradish. That's a mitzvah. But there are other things. For example, we eat an egg. It's not a mitzvah to eat the egg. There is a mitzvah to have an egg on the table. But to have, to eat an egg in, in, in salt water, that's a minhag. That's a custom. To, to spill the wine from the cup, that's a minhag. That's a custom. Well, it has lots of meaning, but it's a custom. Um, let's take uh, the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. To hear the blowing of the shofar, that's a biblical mitzvah. To go to the Tashlich, to say the prayer at the water, that, that's a custom. That's a custom. Let's say Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the mitzvah is to fast. That's what the Torah says, to fast. The fact that we wear white, that's a custom. Because white represents cleanliness and purity and it's a day of atonement, that's a custom. That's not something the Torah says to do. Yes, it once it becomes a custom and gets many customs, certain customs get integrated into Jewish law. But in terms of uh, what's more important, what takes precedence is the mitzvah. What, what's tradition, Michael? What is tradition? I'm not sure the tra- what tradition refers to, but tradition generally can refer to, you know, this is what's been passed down from us in previous generation. But in what's the tradition, certain things are what's called, that God told us to do, whether clearly in the Torah or through the rabbinic sages, based on the teachings of the Torah. And then there's the custom which comes from the Jewish people, like the Jewish people's addition to the Torah. Not, from, not that the rabbis or the sages of the high court uh, made this, uh, uh, you know, did, put this onto the people, ruled, put this ruling, but the people themselves came up with this idea. Um, let's say, dipping the apple in honey on Rosh Hashanah, that's a good example of a custom. Because it's us trying to uh, bring the spirit of the new year, to have a sweet year, apple and honey. That's not a mitzvah. It doesn't say anywhere in Torah you have to eat apple and honey. It's a Jewish custom. It doesn't say anywhere that on Hanukkah you should eat latkes, potato pancakes, or donuts fried in oil. The mitzvah is to light a candle using oil, if possible, olive oil. Uh, the custom is that we want to show our uh, how we cherish this holiday and how we are so grateful to God for performing this miracle that will, in addition to lighting the menorah, we will eat latkes. 
We will eat these pancakes. So you can give lots of examples, but let's take a look at source number nine, which, no, let's give one more example. Now, we pointed out that the custom has to go in accordance to, with Jewish law. Meaning, if all Jewish people start doing something and it becomes a custom, but that's not in accordance with Jewish law, that doesn't count as a good custom. That's not, that's not what the Tosfos is referring to, that a custom of our ancestors is Torah, because that's against Torah. But something which is in sync with Torah, something which comes to enhance our relationship with God. For example, dancing with the Torahs on Simchas Torah doesn't say anywhere in the Torah, and it doesn't say anywhere in Talmud about dancing with the Torahs. But it is something which came up from the Jewish from the Jewish people as an expression of their excitement, of their love for Torah. It's the culmination of the reading of the Torah. We finish reading the Torah, we're so excited, so we start dancing. And this becomes Jewish custom. But for example, if somebody doesn't want to tear their suit when they're at the funeral of a father or mother or brother or sister, God forbid, or a child or a spouse, and they are commanded or instructed according to Jewish law to rip, to rent their garment, and instead of renting their actual garment, they put on a ribbon, a black ribbon, which they, which maybe they tear the ribbon, that's not a Jewish custom. Maybe it's a custom that Jewish, some Jewish people do, but that's not a Jewish custom. Because that's not what Jewish law says. Jewish law says that the, your actual garment, your suit or shirt, you know, doesn't have to be an expensive suit. You can put on a t-shirt. Something that you're actually wearing needs to be ripped. Or a scarf, but not just a ribbon. So that's maybe a, a custom that some Jewish people observe, but that's not called a Jewish custom. We're referring to here with something which comes not in a... In, in a uh, contradiction to Jewish law, but in sync with Jewish law. So let's take, what, how, does, how does the Hasidus, how does Kabbalah look at the customs? Source number nine, there are those things that God did not mention to us at all. Yet as his children, we know this is what our Father wants. If you are focused on the commandment aspect of the mitzvahs, then those that are written into the Torah take precedence. Because that's what's commanded. But if we focus on the relationship aspect, it is clear that the minhag expresses the deepest bond and richest love between father and child. So take, you know, if, you're a, if you have a child, think about your relationship with your child. There are some things you might tell them clearly what your desire is. You instruct them and hopefully they listen. And you're happy they're listening. Some things you might not tell them clearly, you might hint it to them, and you hope that they figure it out on their own. But then there are some things that you don't tell them at all, and they figure it out without your asking, and that's the biggest nachas. That's the biggest pleasure. You can ask your child to bring you a glass of cold water, or you can expect, or if you come in sweaty, and really can use a glass of water, and your child detects that and the child realizes and is tuned in to what you really want, what you need, and comes and brings you a glass of water. It's like, wow, I didn't even have to ask you that. I didn't have to say anything. You just came and you figured out what I want. That's a custom. There are some things in the Torah that are very clear. Some things that are hinted to in the Torah, alluded to. And some things that are from bottom up. They come from us. But it's what God wants. It's somehow the Jewish customs, it, 
it uh, it uh, we hit the mark with what God wants from us. And if you're looking from the commandment aspect, so then you know if if you didn't bring your glass, if the kid didn't bring a glass of water, if you're and you're and you're very hot, so you didn't do it. You didn't ask him what do you want from him. But if you told him to bring it, he didn't do it. Oh, what do you mean? I told you. Why didn't you do it? Right. So then, so from the commandment aspect, what's more of a commandment? The ones that are clear in the Torah. But from the relationship, what's what in, what it enhances the lady? What expresses the love that uh, that's between the parents and children? It's more brought out by the the things that you don't ask clearly. And similarly, it is with our relationship with Hashem. Okay, that's, that's uh, can elaborate another time. But here we're talking about customs, and one of the customs for the holiday of Shavuos is to partake in dairy food. So what's a little bit behind this custom? We'll look at some of the reasons. It's said in Code of Jewish Law that many reasons were given for this custom. So it's, uh, it's always a fascinating topic. What is behind this custom? Let's look at some of the reasons. Uh, and uh, some things will be more commemoration, some will will be more relevant to us, what uh, it teaches us, what this custom teaches us about the spirit of the holiday. Okay, so we're moving on, we're in source number 10, hi, hi Vika, we're in source number 10, let's go back to the first Jewish man and wa- woman, Avraham, Avram, Abraham, and Sarah. And the Torah tells us in the book of Genesis that Avraham and Sarah were visited by three men. Take a look in source number 10. Avraham saw three men standing. They're in the desert and wherever Avraham lived. And three men appear. Now, were they really men? No, they weren't really men. Tells us Rashi from the Talmud, angels in the form of men. They looked like men, but they were actually angels on a mission from Hashem to notify Avram and Sarah that they will have a son, Yitzchak. They were on to another job after to turn over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Avram, Avram and Sarah welcomed them into their tents. At first they were unaware that they were actually angels and therefore they offered them to eat. What does the Torah say? Avram took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he placed them before them, and he was standing over them under the tree, and they ate. What does the Das, the Canaan, and the commentaries tell us? He fed them both milk and meat dishes. That in one meal, Avraham served these guests, who were angels, but maybe at that time was not aware, he served them milk, because it says he took the cream and milk, and the calf, and the tongue, it says he served them tongue, very good meat. So in one meal, and one plate, he served them milk and meat. They ate a mixture of milk and meat, or at least in the same meal. Which is not exactly, excuse me, the will of God in the Torah. And we have a fascinating Midrash, or not Midrash, it's a quote from the Talmud. There's two Talmuds, there's the Babylonian Talmud, there's, there's, there's the Jerusalem Talmud. Here is a quote from the Jerusalem Talmud. We have, we're, we're privy to what went on in heaven. The conversations going on in heaven before the giving of the Torah. Source 11. When Moshe came up to heaven to receive the Torah, the angels objected. Moshe is there and he's all excited. He's getting the Torah on behalf of the Jewish people. 
But the angels in heaven objected. He says, they argued, bestow your glory on the heavens. Why are you giving away the Torah? We study the Torah. The angels are up there studying Torah. Why are you giving away the Torah to the people, to the humans, the souls down below? Keep the Torah with us. Your glory, the Torah, bestow your glory on the heavens. What does God tell the protesting angels? He says, when a child arrives home from yeshiva, he is given a glass of milk. Afterwards, when meat is placed before him, he washes his hands and he eats. When you were at the home of Avram, you ate meat and milk. So God is telling the angels, one second, one second, you're telling me to keep the Torah over here. Do you remember a couple hundred years ago when you were sent down from heaven to Avram? You were there for a short time. For one day you were sent down um, to, the, to, to that world. And you couldn't even observe the laws of the Torah. Hi, Jack. You couldn't, you couldn't refrain from, mil- from, from eating milk and meat together. Avram served you milk and meat, and you had milk, you had meat in the same meal. But a yeshiva boy, a, a boy that comes from yeshiva, you, I, I see that he'll, he'll come home, and what happens if he served a cup of milk? He knows that you can't have m- meat right after. You have to wash up, you have to clean your mouth, you have to wash your hands, you have to start a new meal. And for sure, if you had meat, you have to make a separation. You have to wait six hours after eating meat or chicken also before we can partake of, partake of dairy. Because the mixture of meat and milk is forbidden according to the Torah. So God tells the angels, you are trying to protest from me giving the Torah to Moshe and to the Jewish people down below. You guys aren't worthy of, you can't even observe the Torah here. You can't even observe the Torah when you went down for, for, for a day. But here, the Jewish people, they're going to observe the Torah. And with that, their protests were silenced. And God went ahead and gave the Torah to the Jewish people. So what, what this is, is like this. So here's one idea why we celebrate Shavuos with this custom. Ancient Jewish customs goes back hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, to eat dairy foods on Shavuos. Because the way we eat, we don't just eat dairy on Shavuos. We eat dairy and then we also have meat. It's a mitzvah to have meat on Shavuos. Like every Shabbos, a mitzvah to partake of meat, which brings joy and it's a holiday to be joyous with meat and wine. But we make a separation. We first have a dairy meal and then we clean our mouths and we wash our hands and we uh, start a new meal. Well, a while later we have meat and we demonstrate that we can observe the Torah. We could keep to the laws of kosher and the separation of meat and milk. And through that we are worthy just like then when the Torah was 3,300 years ago when the Torah was given to the Jewish people. It was because the Jewish people we're careful with the separation of milk and meat, but not the angels. So it's this mitzvah, the separation of milk and meat, which, which, gave, which uh, quieted the protests of the angels and got us the Torah. So on this holiday, when we're celebrating the giving of the Torah, it's very much connected to this mitzvah of milk, dairy foods being separate than meat. So on a regular Shabbos, we don't really have dairy. We just have a meat meal, or we have chicken soup Friday night, and we have challah on Shabbos day, and there is no dairy in the meal, maybe for breakfast, but not in the, in the regular meal of the holiday. But here on Shavuos, we incorporate, we have a dairy meal as part of the meal, but we do it in a way that we make a separation between milk and meat. That's a, a beginner's 
reason. Let's move on a little bit deeper and deeper for this custom of what dairy has got to do with the holiday of Shavuos. We turn the page to a third section. So picture this. The Torah is being given to the Jewish people. Uh, they're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai and they hear the commandments. And one of the things they hear is, oh, we have to keep kosher. In order for meat to be kosher, it has to come from a cow. In order for the meat to be kosher, we have to slaughter. And there's lots of the, the laws of slaughtering. And after the slaughtering, we have to salt the meat and drain the blood. After that, we have to take out certain veins. And, and uh, all the laws that go into uh, preparing meat. And after that, you have to have a kosher pot. There has to be a pot that you, that's uh, just for meat, not for milk. So let's take a look at source number 12. We have here an uh, explanation for this custom from the Imre Pinchas, which is a Pinchas Koritzer, a very great uh, chassid and disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. A few hundred years ago, his last name was Pinchas Shapiro. Shapiro is a very Jewish... Last name. So source number 12. At the giving of the Torah, the Jews became obligated to observe the kosher laws. Any meat they may have had from before was not usable. The simplest and most convenient thing was to make the first meal a dairy one. This was the easiest to prepare and least time consuming. So they come back from this experience. They went to shul. They left their tents. They went to shul. They went to synagogue. I don't know if they had... Uh, nice seats there, but they actually were standing. They're standing at Mount Sinai, and they didn't just hear the rabbi's sermon. They actually heard God talking to them and telling them, relaying to them the Ten Commandments, conveying to them the Ten Commandments in the Torah. And one of the things they hear is kosher. They come back to their tents, and of course they're hungry. They want to make kiddush and eat, have something to eat. But all of the food that they had prepared in their refrigerators or in their tents is all the meat well, is not kosher anymore, and all their pots are non kosher. Because the meat wasn't slaughtered before. They didn't have the laws of slaughtering. It wasn't salted. It wasn't prepared properly. And even if they want to go and cook some new meat, they, they, they have to kosher their pots, which is, uh, they need hot water. And it's a whole process. So the sim- what do you think? They, they didn't sit there hungry. They had to eat something. The, the simplest thing to eat was milk. Because milk, if it was milk from a kosher animal, is kosher. The cow gave milk. They, the milk was kosher. And they can make something from the milk. Or drink the milk. So the simplest thing. So what was the first meal that the Jews... How did the Jews celebrate the first Shavuos? When they just got the Torah. How did... What did they eat? What was their first meal? Not the last meal. The first meal. The first meal was probably a dairy one. Because to have meat is more complicated. And right out, right away they need to eat something. So dairy was more available. Dairy was more simple. And so how do we commemorate how do, uh, this meal? How do we celebrate Shavuos? By also having a dairy meal. Even though our meat now is kosher, Baruch Hashem, because even before Shavuos we were keeping the laws of kosher. But this is the way the Jewish people traditionally uh, first celebrated the giving of the Torah with a dairy treat or dairy food, dairy uh, meal. So that's how it's celebrated every year. Let's add another point to this. Source number 13. Everyone agrees that the Torah was given to the Jewish people on Shabbos. Now, no cattle could be slaughtered, nor could utensils be kosher, and thus, on that day, they ate dairy. To commemorate the dairy meal, which was eaten after the giving of the Torah, we too eat a dairy meal. So this uh, paragraph here is adding that, besides that, it's more complicated, but it was actually forbidden, because 
the day of the week that the Torah was given was a Shabbos. Now, to slaughter is one of the 39 categories of work which is forbidden on Shabbos. So slaughter, shechita, is forbidden on Shabbos. So even if they wanted to slaughter, they couldn't slaughter, they had to wait. So the meat wasn't good. The meat from before wasn't good. And they cannot prepare, not just that it's going to take a lot of time, but it wasn't possible. Because it was Shabbos, they had to wait till the end of Shabbos. What did they eat meanwhile? Any milk that was milked before, they can have that milk and make products out of that milk because that's, that was permitted on Shabbos. So that's the second reason. We have the reason of the, of the angels, the separation between meat and milk. Here we have another reason, which is to commemorate the first meal, the way the Jewish people celebrated the holiday of Shavuos. They had a piece of cheesecake or they had a drink of milk. Because what else should they eat? Meat was not available to them. Because it would be more complicated and because it was forbidden on Shabbos to prepare meat. Let's go further in hist- a little back in history to Moses. Yes, he received the Torah. He was 80 years old when he received the Torah on Mount Sinai. But 80 years before, when his mother gave birth to him, his mother's name was Yocheved, Moshe's father's name was Amram. Amram and Yocheved first had a son, excuse me, first had a daughter, her name was Miriam, then had a son, his name was Aaron, Aaron, and then they gave birth to a boy, Moshe. Now, he was born during the very difficult times, the time of the decree that all Jewish boys should be thrown into the Nile. And Moshe was also thrown into the Nile. But actually, the Torah says that he was born a little early, or different opinions exactly, but she was able, as we see in source number 14, she hid him for three months. That Moshe's mother hid him as a child for three months from the Egyptian authorities. She was able to hide the fact that he was born that she has a baby at home, a baby boy that really should be in the Nile. What does the Torah tell us? Source number 14. But when she could hide him no longer, after three months, and the Egyptians had their tactics, how they would uh, track down who's had a baby boy and who's hiding, and they would bring another baby and they would try to get the babies to talk to each other. So when she could hide him no longer, she got a reed basket, smeared it with clay and pitch, placed the child into it, and put it into the marsh, at the Nile's edge. As we're familiar with the story, Moshe is in the Nile. What happens? The daughter of King Pharaoh, her name was Batya, she comes and she hears the child crying and she, she rescues the child and she adopts Moshe. And her, her sister Miriam is watching there. What's going to happen? And what happens is that the baby is crying and Batya tries nursing him and tries getting other nurses to, uh, other women there to, to nurse this baby boy. But nobody, she, he's, not, he's not suckling, he's not uh, nursing. So little Miriam, who's uh, you know, six, seven years old there, says, hey, maybe I should call you a Jewish woman. Maybe this is a, Jew, this is a Jewish boy, maybe a Jewish mother will be able to nurse him. And uh, she says, sure, yeah, go call her. Who does she go and call? She calls her own mother without, uh, without revealing to Batya that it's uh, the mother of the child. She goes and calls Yocheved, uh, Moshe's mother, and lo and behold, the baby is nursing. So what does uh, fr- the princess tell her? You know what? You, I'm hiring you, I'm paying you to nurse this baby. It's my, I'm adopting this baby boy, and uh, I'll pay you. 
Great miracle. <laughs> Getting paid to nurse your own child. And that's how Moshe was raised for the first couple of years of his life by his parents, by his biological parents. And then he had to go back to the palace and the rest of the story. Source number 15. Pharaoh's daughter had handed him to many Egyptian women to suckle him. And he had refused to take suck. Now why, why didn't Moshe take suck? This was something divine. Because in heaven at the time, the angels were saying, Hey, this little boy, says the Talmud, because he was destined to converse with God. It said, this is the boy that's going to talk with you on, your, on, on this day. He's going to converse with God. Moshe is the one that's going to talk to God and communicate with Hashem, be the leader of the Jewish people and teach them Torah, what he heard from God. He needs to live. He needs to be sustained and nourished of uh, milk, pure milk, pure kosher milk from, from a woman who's, who's eating kosher foods. And that's why he didn't, uh, he, he didn't suck from them. He didn't suckle from them. And he nursed from his own mother, from a Jewish woman. When did the story take place? Says the Talmud, source 16. This incident took place on the sixth day of Sivan. The day when years later, Moshe would receive the Torah Mount Sinai. The same day. He says, this is the day in 80 years Moshe is going to stand up here on Mount Sinai, up in heaven, go up the mountain, and he's going to converse with God and learn the Torah and to the Jew, tell, teach the Jewish people, this, on this day, is going to nurse milk from, uh, from a non-Jewish woman, from a non-kosher source. How do we know that it was the same day? Because Moshe passed away on the seventh day of Adar, and he was likewise born on the seventh day of Adar. Moshe was born and passed away on the same day. The seventh day of Adar, the month of Adar, a couple of days before Purim. Now, if he was born on the seventh day of Adar, and he, she hid him, the mother hid him, his mother hid him for three months, exactly three months, is the sixth day of Sivan, the end of the three months, which is the day the Torah was given. That's the holiday of Shavuos. Shavuos is the sixth day of Sivan, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. So this whole story of the milk, the Moshe not nursing, and, and how ironic it was that his own mother was able to get, have him back at home for the first couple of years, and that's how he knew. He knew who he was. He knew later he was a Jewish man. He was a Jewish boy. Because he didn't just live two years at home when he was nursing. He, he raised, she raised him. And she was, not pay, she was paid to raise him. And it also brings out to us the, the, the Kedusha, the holiness of studying Torah, that someone who was going to be the one studying Torah from God and teaching Torah to the Jewish people, needs to be careful what they eat. Studying Torah is very much linked to, to eating kosher. Moshe is the one that's going to be the teacher of the Jewish people. You have to make sure that his food from a young age is, is kosher food because that refines our minds and hearts. It goes into our bloodstream. And when we eat the kosher food, that gives us the, the right tools, the right food, the right nourishment, not just for our bodies, but also for our souls to be able to comprehend and grasp Torah. So on the holiday of Shavuot, the day when the Torah is given to us, we eat dairy foods to remind us of this story and the importance of kosher food, reminds us of this miracle, and reminds us that the, the link between studying Torah and kosher food, and it came out in dairy, so we eat dairy foods to remind us of the story. Here we just see another, another example, a third reason here explaining this custom, this Jewish custom of partaking of dairy foods, ice cream and uh, cheesecake and everything else on the holiday of Shavuos.
Let's move on to our final section, which I think is more relevant, uh, teaching us what dairy foods and Torah have got to do with one another. The holiday of Shavuos is not just the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. A few hundred years ago, the Baal Shem Tov passed away on this day. But many years before, a man familiar to all of us also passed away on this day. And he is called King David. It's the yard side, it's the anniversary of the passing of King David. It's actually his birthday as well, because just like Moshe was born and died on the same day, on the 7th of Adar, King David was born and died on the same day. He lived for 70 years. So the first day of Shavuos is his birthday, as well as his yards at the day of his passing. And the Talmud tells us a fascinating story, which again brings out the power, the strength, of studying Torah, and we'll see how this relates to dairy foods. Source number 17. David said before God, on what day of the week will I die? He was curious. He wanted to know, uh, when will he die? God tells him, on Shabbos. The day of the week will be Shabbos. He didn't, God did not, did not said, I cannot tell you when exactly, which Shabbos, but it's going to be on a Shabbos. Out of the seven days of the week, it's going to be on a Shabbos. So what did David do? He has this piece of information. He knows that the day of his passing is going to be on Shabbos. David is either the king. David ruled over from age 30. He was a, a king. He ruled for 40 years. Most of them over the entire Jewish people in the land of Israel. David is the one that purchased Mount Moriah, where the temple eventually was built by his son, King Solomon, King David. And uh, he wants to know when his time is up, he's going he's to do something about it. What did he do? Let's continue from the Talmud. Every Shabbos, he would sit and learn Torah all day. Yes, he was the king, but he was not just the author of the book of Psalms of Tehillim. He studied Torah. And every Shabbos, he made sure that every moment he was learning Torah, his mouth didn't stop uttering the holy words of Torah. Now on that day, on the day that he was supposed to really pass, on his 70th birthday, on that day on which he was supposed to put his soul to rest, the angel of death stood before him and was unable to overcome him because his mouth did not pause from studying. And Torah is so powerful that it, Chases away when somebody is studying Torah. The angel of death has no, has no, uh, can't come close to him. So what did the angel of death do? He's an angel after all. He figures it out, figures it out to complete his mission. David had a garden behind his house. The angel of death came, climbed and shook the trees. David went out to see. What's this noise? What's doing in the back of his palace? And even while he went out, he was still saying words of Torah. But as he climbed the steer, the steer broke beneath him. He was silent for a moment. He was startled when he tripped and, uh, and he died. He was silent from saying words of Torah for a split moment, split second, and that's when he passed away. And what does the Talmud say? David passed away on Shavuos. So David is very much connected to the holiday of Shavuos. 
He passes away on the holiday of Shavuos. How? Bringing out again this, uh, the importance of, of, of Torah study and how powerful and protective the study of Torah is. But here comes the connection to dairy foods. There is a law. Someone, God forbid, loses a close relative. She never experienced this. But there is a law. Of course, we're familiar with the laws of Shiva. One uh, mourns for seven days. But then there is a period. The Shiva, the official mourning period, begins from the burial. From the burial is the mourning period. But before the burial, from the death, until the burial is called, there's a period called Aninut. Let's take a look at source number 16 from Code of Jewish Law. When a person suffers the loss of a relative for whom he is obligated to observe the ritual mourning, the Shiva, which is the seven immediate relatives, a father, mother, son, or daughter, brother, sister, or spouse, he is considered an onane until after the burial. And there are specific laws that refer to this period. One doesn't even put on tefillin, one doesn't pray, one doesn't say Shema. They're busy with the burial. They're busy tending and, and arrange, the arrangements of the, of the funeral. They should be totally devoted to taking care of the honor of the deceased. And one of the things that is prohibited is he must not eat meat or drink wine during that time. During the Aninos, this period from the death until the burial... It's not a time for frivolity. It's not a time for, for uh, joy. Wine should not be drunk and eat, meat should not be eaten. Now, when did King David pass away? He passed away on the holiday of Shavuos. And because he was the king, so it's not just his immediate family that were in this category of onin and forbidden to drink wine and have meat. When King David, source 18 continuing, when King David passed away, the entire community were on him. A king has, uh, is considered an immediate relative. He is the head, he is the heart of the Jewish people. It wasn't just a king like now, uh, a king which is a ruler. The king was the spiritual uh, leader of the Jewish people. He was a role model of devotion and piety. Especially King David. Yes, there were other Jewish kings later that weren't exactly like King David. But that is the, the, the halacha. So everybody is uh, obligated to refrain from eating meat and drinking wine. So it was Shavuos. Yes, it was a biblical holiday of Shavuos. But even though usually on a holiday we partake in meat... So in those days, it was the altar, and they brought up sacrifices. But because it was the day that David died, so as soon as David passed away, all of the Jewish people were in this category of an onain, and they cannot eat meat. What do they eat? They had to eat something. They had milk. They could eat milk, dairy foods, but they can't have meat or meat products. So because Shavuos is the yard side, the anniversary of the passing of King David, so in order to commemorate his passing and the way his passing was observed on the day of his passing by a dairy meal, that is why we have dairy on this holiday. And his passing was very much connected to the power of, and the strength of studying Torah. Because he passed away, in order for him to die, the angel of death had to do something to stop him from studying Torah. 
every moment we study words of Torah, it gives us spiritual protection. So that's number four. Let's move on to number five. Another reason, which is probably the more famous reason, number f- source number 19. The verse tells us in the book of Song of Songs, like honey and milk, the Torah lies under your tongue. Just like milk and honey is very sweet and nourishing under our tongue, so too is the Torah. So the verse compares the Torah to milk and honey. Now, even though there's many sweet things, sugar and many sweets, but why specifically milk? Because milk can fully sustain the body of a nursing baby. So does Torah provide all the spiritual nourishment necessary for the human soul. It's fascinating. A baby literally lives off milk for the first, I don't know, six months, a year, two years of his life or her life. Milk is, is, uh, is very nourishing. Milk is very, has special qualities. So the Torah is compare, compared to milk because just like milk is all the baby needs. All the baby needs is milk. And that's enough for the child. And the child grows so much. The ground, uh, I don't know the, the numbers, the percent, but the child grows in the first year of his life so much more, so much faster than, than later. And Torah is the same. Sometimes we think, we think in order for us to get through life, in order for us to live a meaningful and uh, purposeful life, so we have a little bit of Torah, a little bit of this, a little bit of science. A little, Torah has everything for us. We don't need anything else. Torah has everything. Torah is the book that God gave to us. And Torah has it all. Torah gives us inspiration. Torah gives us guidance. Torah gives us nourishment. Torah is like milk. Just like a child, all it needs is milk. It doesn't need anything else. All a Jew needs is Torah. Torah, with Torah, we, not just we, we suffice with Torah, we can strive and we can, we cannot just, how does it go? We don't just uh, survive. We, we grow from Torah. Torah not just gets us through life, Torah uh, gives us everything we need for our, for our soul. So when we have dairy foods on Shavuos, it reminds us of the quality of Torah, that the quality of Torah is like milk, which all dairy foods come from. Source number 20, another interesting point. It's from the book of Proverbs, it says, thrive, thank you Gary, I was looking for that word, not just survive, but thrive. Torah helps us not just get through life, but helps us grow, like a child grows the most during its first year, you know, months of having milk. Um, when we have Torah in our life, Torah helps us thrive, and live a peaceful, meaningful and happy life. Source number 20. When we lift the Torah, one of the parts of Shul, when we lift the Torah after reading the Torah, one of the things we sing is Eitz Chaim Eitz Chaim Eitz We say the Torah is the tree of life for those that hold on to the Torah. And then we say... And 
Bechol which means its ways, the ways of Torah are dark in Noam, they're pleasant, ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. The path of Torah. Torah is a peaceful Torah. Torah, the ways of Torah bring pleasantness, harmony, and peace. And because it's Shavuos and we're, and we're celebrating the Torah, now milk and honey are both foods, or in source number 20, that are, do not require the taking of life or the severing of growth. They, like the ways of Torah, are harmonious with life. You want to have some eggs? You have to uh, stop the growth, stop a growth. If you want to have some chicken or any meat, although the Torah permits us and uh, times instructs us to do that, but you know there is something there. There is the end of uh, the life of the animal in, in the way in, the, in its the way it's alive here. But milk, milk is something we can take from the animal, and sometimes actually the animal needs to relieve itself uh, from its milk. Otherwise, it's painful. In a very peaceful way. So we have milk because dairy foods, as well as honey, but milk and dairy foods reminds us just like milk is not painful and is not, uh, has nothing to do with the opposite of, uh, of life or the severing of growth. So, too, the Torah is the ways of Torah are peaceful. Torah enhances peace. I promise you, those that are connected and studying Torah. And following the ways of Torah, have peaceful, more peaceful marriages generally, and more peace, uh, better relationships with their children, and so on. The Torah enhances when we follow the, the the framework and the perspective of Torah. We live a more harmonious and peaceful life. Try it, and uh, although they say. Um, Somebody once came to the rabbi and complaining. I know it says in the Torah that this, if you if you put up a mezuzah, then it'll protect you. And I had a break in. What should I do? And the rabbi says, "Don't come to me. I work for God, but I'm in the sales department. I'm not in the customer service. So I, we we teach what the Torah says, but uh, I can tell you from that uh, Torah has enhances our lives immensely." Okay, let's conclude uh, with two more points here. Source number 21. Another reason why Torah is compared to milk. Here's a quote from the Talmud. Now, I'm not a, uh, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what the word is, biologist or how these things work, but this is what the Talmud says. A nursing woman does not experience menstruation because the blood spoils and becomes milk. I do know that milk has something to do with blood. There's something in the bloodstream, some glands, how it uh, turns into uh, milk for a, for a young mother. Uh, milk is somehow comes from blood. So blood, blood is not something pure. Blood is first of all not kosher. You mentioned before, you have to drain, you have to uh, drain the animal and release all the salt. Take out all the salt from the meat. All the excuse me, blood from the meat through salting, which extracts the blood. And actually, even human blood is forbidden. If God forbid someone has a cut, it's not okay to put your cut in your mouth and suck the blood. If you have a cut in your mouth, then it's okay. But to take blood from somewhere else and suck on it, that's blood. Blood is forbidden. Torah says many, many, numerous times, 
specifically against, you know, there's a prohibition of uh, having uh, blood, even if you don't like it, you're just doing it to soothe your skin because your saliva uh, is comforting, but blood is a problem. So blood is not pure. Blood is, uh, it brings uh, impurity, laws of purity and impurity. We talked about a little bit about mikvah a couple of weeks ago. Blood is something which, which is impure. Non-kosher, it's impure. And yet, the milk, which is so nourishing and so pure and so kosher, comes from a source which is non-kosher. So the milk, the dairy, transforms and elevates something not so good. It purifies. And that is what Torah is. Torah is like milk. I see in source, continuing in source 21, the Torah forbids eating blood. But milk, thus milk originates from a source which is spiritually unclean. Torah is compared to milk because of its power to elevate and purify even one who has fallen into a state of spiritual contamination. Even if somebody has, and somebody, all of us, we're never, there's no man that does not sin. And yet Torah is able to uplift us. Torah is able to elevate us and purify when we bask in the glory of Torah, when we invest ourselves and we are entrenched in the Torah teachings, at least for the time when we're studying Torah. Torah is our life and, when, and Torah uplifts us and takes us out of the schmutz, the dirt that sometimes we can get entangled in. And uh, in the time that we're living, it's right in front of our eyes, different distractions. And when we commit ourselves and we put ourselves to studying Torah, Torah gives us guidance and Torah schleps us out of the blood that schleps us out and pulls us out of the mud. And just like milk takes the blood and it purifies it and it becomes so, so beautiful and so tasty and so nourishing, Torah takes us, elevates us and connects us to a higher purpose, to a higher source. This is a teaching of the Odalus Ephraim. That's... Uh, one of the great commentaries in the Torah is known as the Kli Yoker. His name was Shlomo Ephraim Lunchitz. He was, uh, he was uh, one of the, rab- the leading rabbis of uh, Prague in the Czech, uh, what is it, Czech Republic? I don't know what, what, what it was then, but Prague, one of the great centers of Torah teaching. Let's conclude with our final source. If you like a gematria, you like the, the numbers, so in Hebrew, let's take a look, uh, source 22. Moshe was with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. Torah tells us he was on the mountain after going up on, on Shavuos, on this holiday that's coming up, the Sunday night. He was there to get the Ten Commandments <clears throat> for all the Jewish people, and all the Jewish people experienced this. Then he was up back on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, hearing the whole Torah and writing the five books of Moses, or a big part of it. Um... The rest of the commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but all 630 commandments. 40 days. So the number 40 is associated with the giving of the Torah, the receiving of the Torah. Now, the numerical value of the Hebrew word for milk, chalav, is 40. Commemorating the 40 days that Moshe spent on Mount Sinai. The word, uh, the word chalav, which is the word for milk in Hebrew, is three Hebrew letters, ches, Lamed and Vez, or Bet. Chet, Lamed, Bet. Chet is 8. Lamed is 30. Bet is 2. 3, 8, 2, 30. Sorry, not 3. 30 plus 8 plus 2 is 40. The word Chalav, which all dairy foods come from, milk, is the numerical value, has a gematria of 40. The number 40 is very much connected to this holiday. It's a day when we're celebrating the giving of the Torah, which was given to Moshe in 40 days, which is amazing because 
as the as he puts as the source puts it, that to create the whole world took six days, but to get to Torah it took forty days. So what's more important? The Torah, was, the world was created in six days, and yet the Torah is so vast and so deep and so important that it took forty days to give over to Moshe. It shows us the greatness of the Torah, which we're celebrating this precious gift, uh, this treasure that was given to us on day, on this day on the holiday of Shavuos, three thousand three hundred and thirty-three years ago. And every year we celebrate this book, this way of life, and we recommit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to the study of Torah. To the to to uh, the fulfillment of the mitzvahs of the Torah to the best of our ability on this holiday. So that is a bit of an insight into the holiday of Shavuos, the custom of this day of partaking in dairy foods. And we have a, a bit of an insight into what this custom represents and what its message is to us how it's relevant to us. The Torah is not an ancient book. It is an ancient book, but it is relevant and applicable uh, to all of us, even in the year 2021. So join us on Shavuos. The Sunday night begins. We light candles, we make Kiddush, and we have a holiday meal. And then on Shavuos day on Monday, we'll have a Torah reading. We'll have in the morning about 11 11 o'clock will be a reading. We'll have a big grand reading at 6 o'clock p.m. Monday, May 17 at Synagogue followed by a grand ice cream party and dairy meal in synagogue for men, women, and children. And the second day of Shavuos, which is Tuesday, it is a day when we say Yizkar, just like we do on other big holidays, not just on Yom Kippur, but it's also on the last day of Pesach and the last day of of, uh, Sukkot, as well as the second day of Shavuos on Tuesday, about 11.30 or so, is Yizkar, when we remember uh, our loved ones who have passed and pledged charity in their memory. Uh, if you can't make it a person, we can, you can submit their, your, their names and, uh, and we can mention them in synagogue. That's on Tuesday. Before we conclude, uh, once again, if you missed it in the beginning, uh, today we're here at 7. We started an hour ago because at the regular time at 12.15, we were at uh, the Rebbe's grave in uh, Queens. It's customary to announce an engagement uh, after visiting the Rebbe's grave. This is our custom, and the custom of many. So we were this morning and early afternoon uh, with uh, with Isser, my brother-in-law, Rabbi and Rebetzin Brickman's son, younger son, Isser, who became a chassan today, got engaged today, and we were there uh, with, with a little uh, celebration. Um, so we rescheduled for tonight. So thank you for joining at this time, uh, next week, Tuesday, it was Shavuos, so we won't be having a class, but in two weeks, we'll be back on schedule, God willing, for our usual time at 12.15. And before we sign off, uh, I just want to let you know that we started something called J-Text. It's called J-Text, um, and uh, we launched it at the Lag Omer event uh, a week and a half ago, but... <clears throat> J-Text is another way to study Torah. We're talking about Torah. We're talking about the holiday of Shavuos. Another way to stay connected to Torah and learn interesting things about Jewish uh, tradition, about the Torah. So it's called J-Text. J-Text is a Jewish trivia game. This, this track is for adults. We have a track for teens, which was very successful for a good couple of months. And we, we have uh, a little over 70 teens or so signed up. It's really exciting. And now we're, we're open for adults. We have a separate track. But the way it works is um, adults sign up 
and and the twice a week Sunday and Wednesday so tomorrow it would be Wednesday every Sunday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. you'll get a text to your phone with a Jewish question with four multiple choice answers it might be about the holiday might be about uh, Jewish history or just random things all kinds of interesting things uh, you get a question with four options one two three or four and you respond back, one, one, two, three, or four. You just have to put a one, put a two, put a three or four. Which one do you think is correct? Now, so far we have about 45 uh, adults signed up. Um, so, if you, uh, so you're competing with everybody else. And if you are the seventh one to answer correctly, our system will receive, gets your answer number seven. You're the seventh to get it correct. Some will get it incorrect. Not everybody knows it. So if you will, um, if you are the seventh one to get it correct, you win. Uh, you win the question. You'll get a Jewish gift. That will deliver to you a Jewish gift uh, sometime later. So uh, that's a seven o'clock, and then seven forty-five. You have forty-five minutes to answer. I try to be number seven, and at seven forty-five, we'll get a second text announcing that night's winner, who was number seven to answer correctly, and you'll get a link with. Uh, with an article explaining the the correct answer to the question, so uh, you can share this yourself for yourself, for your spouse, for your kids. Anyone uh, above the age of twenty one can join this track. And the process to begin is uh, to send a text to the following number. Um, let me see if I can comment here. The number is nine two nine. Here we go. I'm going to type it in here. 929-262-6245. Uh, I'm going to write it here. So you text the word JEWISH, all capital. Text the word JEWISH, just JEWISH, to the number. Text JEWISH to 929-262-6245. Text JEWISH to 929-262-6245. Okay, I just put it in the comments. Uh, and you should get a response back not from that number probably from a different number uh, saying that you signed up to JTEXT J is Jewish text and uh, probably will ask you for your name so you can respond with your uh, with your name and last name so we know who you are um, to announce when, when you win hopefully and that's where you can join. So you text Jewish to 929-262-6245 and you're in. And then tomorrow at 7 p.m. you will receive a uh, text with with um, with a Jewish question. So this number is just our uh, just a system number. It's not somebody's number. It's our number. It's not my. The number of our, of our system that we're using for this uh, to track uh, to track this game, uh, so uh, we'll see. It's, you know, it's just our number. You can text the word Jewish to nine two nine two six two six two four five. You can have any any of your kids. Um, we do have a teens track as well. So for teens, it's a different code. If you have a teen, you can let me know. Um, but for the adult, it's Jewish. Actually, for the teens, the, the code is Seagate, in one word, Seagate capital, uh, all, all capital letters, Seagate. But for the adult track, it's Jewish, so you text Jewish, and you are in. So it's another way to study Torah twice a week, get something Jewish, 
to your phone, um, something interesting, something fascinating usually, and we can all be united and connected and compete together in a learning way. All right, so have a wonderful evening and wishing you a Chag Sameach, a uh, happy Shavuos. We should be we should be on a Thursday at seven thirty, hopefully, on uh, on Rebbe's, Rivka's page at seven thirty. We'll talk a little bit more about Shavuos then. But um, happy J texting, happy Shavuos, and and Zay uh, Gesund. Thank you for joining. Feel free to share this link so others can benefit as well.